City Quick Connect podcast is brought to you by the Municipal Association of South Carolina. Hey everyone, this is Russell Cox, editor of the Municipal Association of South Carolina Subtown Publication. Today I am talking with Jeff Netzinger, stormwater manager for the town of Hilton Head Island. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. We are going to be talking about the town's rehabilitation of the stormwater pump stations, two stations, one on uh, Jarvis Creek and one on Lawton Canal. As I understand, these were the town's two oldest pump stations, and uh, the project to improve them, I believe it was a $4.2 million project. One, the town of Hilton Head Island, one of the Municipal Association's 2021 Achievement Awards. So to begin, Jeff, can you tell us about the experience these pump stations had during major storm events and just the operations of them that led the town to pursue this upgrade project? Yeah, so just to give a little bit of background, um, as Hilton Head Island uh, developed into the resort community it is today and People started moving out of the island, and, and uh, planned development started to come into play. And we turned from a lot of, uh, you know, un, un, unimproved land, uh, forests and and creeks and marshes and stuff like that, and turned it into the de- much more developed land that it is now. It's a low, low-lying, flat barrier island, so we don't have a mm-hmm. lot of uh, elevation change on the island. Uh, in some cases, the way we try and take all of our stormwater as opposed to directing it to the beach and directly um, discharging stormwater runoff into the into the ocean proper um, we try we're trying to maintain the beach the continuous line of beach across the whole front end of the island and discharge everything back into the creeks and the sounds mm-hmm. on the back of the island so in order to get all this water to to uh, to flush out in areas where we have uh, problems getting the water, you know, sometimes two or three miles if you measure it along the the uh, pathway of the water through lagoons and canals and ditches and pipes. Sometimes that's two or three miles, and we only have a few feet vertically to have the gravity help push the water out. So a lot of times it needs help to get out in order to meet the uh, stormwater um, protection uh, demands to keep the you know keep keep structural and roadway flooding. Um, at bay during peak events. So over over the years, there's a, now a total of four pump stations operating on the island. Lawton Canal is the oldest one. is down in, in the Sea Pines Resort community, one of the oldest the oldest community on the island developed as far as the, the recent developed for for uh, residential and you know plan kind of plan development. And then Jarvis Creek was constructed around 2000. Um, so the 89 for Lawton in 2000 for Jarvis, and then we had a couple more that came on more recently in 2003, Shipyard and Wexford. So after they were constructed, though, we've had no major hurricanes um, or or tropical storm events um, other than scares since any of those pump stations have been constructed until Matthew in 2016. When Matthew hit, that was our first real stress test on these facilities that were installed to protect us against events just like those. So we had a big learning experience, and again, at this point, all the all the pub stations had some age on them when they finally had their first uh, real test. So we had a lot of uh, 
you know, we had a lot of follow-up lessons learned, trying to figure out what was done right when they were installed and designed and what was done wrong or, or uh, needed a little bit of, of uh, correction. So a lot of this overhaul was replacing and upgrading old equipment with more modern equipment, uh, improving our monitoring uh, capabilities, uh, improving our uh, emergency backup capabilities. If the power goes out, we want these to go over to generator power and operate automatically during an extreme event. So there's a lot of challenges in trying to make sure that we get the, we got the upgrades and improvements right. So to talk about um, planning for the for the project, funding, design, all of that, I believe I understand the price of the upgrade came from stormwater utility fees on property. Yes. So the uh, the town along with the county and all the other municipalities within the county, formed a stormwater utility back in 2001 to uh, find, develop a funding source to address the many stormwater-related problems that we have um, as a local low-lying community. I mean, there's stormwater uh, management issues everywhere, but they're, they're especially challenging in, in many respects when we have these low-lying low areas where we are here on the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so some of these... Demands were quite challenging, and to find a, a revenue source able to support that inspired everybody, especially based on some rainfall events that happened in the mid-90s that really caused the county and the municipalities in the county to wake up and realize that we needed to be doing more as a community to address these issues. So we decided to form the utility as a funding source, and that's based on a property, and it's an assessment based on a combination of the Gross area of a parcel, uh, but with way more importance placed on the amount of uh, impervious area uh, on a parcel. Of course, those uh, calculations are, are done independently on, on commercial tracks and, and other tracks that are non-residential. But when it comes to a residential track, that, that math is kind of simplified down to a standard amount of assumed impervious on average for a particular uh, size of house. So, yeah, those come out every year on the uh, property tax bill. It's a fee. It's a, it's not a tax, it's just a stormwater fee, and it is part of the property tax bill, and that revenue is collected by the county uh, on our behalf as the town of Hilton Head, and they take an administrative fee to do that for us, and then they give us our money back for for the properties that are located within the, within the town. So that's how, that's how our base funding, uh, is, is managed, and, uh, you know, we kind of uh, operate independently with the stormwater utility on the island. Uh, we we are part of the town, but our funding is independent from the general fund. So mm-hmm. uh, that that's what we have to manage. What all equipment at these stations was upgraded as part of this? So in the case of uh, Jarvis, which is ahead a year ahead of the uh, the lot one, the lot the Lawton uh, pump station is it was actually instructed by the Sea Pines community, the private community, but uh, over half uh, the watershed, uh, the developed area of the watershed is is actually outside of Sea Pines. So both the public system and part of the private system were are are rely on that pump station, and uh, so it had some it had some some various issues. The, the Jarvis pump station was entirely a public, publicly constructed in 2000, so our attention was focused first on, on the Jarvis Creek pump station after the event, and, and of course, 
the events had spoke to different things. And in the case of Jarvis, we realized that we needed to, to replace the equipment with some of the some of the main stuff, just the, the dated equipment, uh, the starters, and uh, the monitoring equipment, and the transfer switches um, and the breakers. All those all those components that power the power the pumps needed to be upgraded to something much more much more modern and more efficient. These were getting old and unreliable. The availability of replacement parts was uh, getting more difficult, uh, more dangerous to work on the equipment as it, as the electrical components aged. Um, mm-hmm. We also realized that we needed uh, so we replaced or refurbished the generator at Jarvis. Uh, we rebuilt several of the pumps, and then we made some improvements uh, in the upstream system to some of the what we refer to as control structures that. Kind of uh, mitig- uh, meet or uh, meter the water flow towards the pump station. So uh, we had a, a control structure upstream that we doubled the capacity of, a, of the weir um, to, to double the amount of flow that would come from one of the larger subwater sheds feeding the station during a storm event. So it was a combination of many things. So we did a complete assessment, and we had to give it over to one general contractor we have on call to help us maintain our pump stations. And in, I guess in the case of Lawton, it was much older, and some of that electrical equipment was really dated. And uh, so, and it had a, a generator that you know was pretty much functionally defunct. So we replaced uh, the entire control building in that case, and uh, made some re- replacements to the to the decking uh, and the, uh, the the emergency cutoff switches, you know, completely reconstructed with a brand new control building, a brand new generator, and all brand new uh, electrical equipment and conduit. So pretty much a complete complete rebuild, except for the pumps themselves, which were refurbished, and uh, the chamber itself that was built to, to house the pumps. So one thing that interests me about stormwater. It's very easy to measure performance in terms of how many gallons of water can be moved through a system in a a given length of time. The the new versions of these pump stations, how have they performed? Well, I I guess the rub is is that when we do have a heavy rainfall event, um, which we have in the summer when we get these downpours, they can vary for about a few inches in a couple of hours in the case of a real extreme storm to a, you know, five, six, seven inches over 24 hours. Um, and of course the storm events we're designing for start at around eight and a half inches of water before they're even relied upon for that emergency peaking power. So I guess in the end we, we talk about, you know, the availability to be able to do a stress test on these systems only comes when the big event comes. But during these downpours that we have had over the summer, we've had some tweaking to do and, and you know, learning about, you know, where, where we need to pay more attention to, to keeping the system that, that brings the water to the station clear of debris, anything that might block the water from getting to the facility, and then make sure that the tide on the outside, downstream side of these facilities, isn't getting back up and defeating our whole purpose of trying to push the water out. All these have what we refer to as backflow prevention devices on them, which are usually flat gates. They keep the tide from coming back in, so if you have a storm surge, that water can't get back in on you. But uh, again, until you have a real extreme event, the, the ground truthing of the improvements and how effective they are will only be known when the uh, when the next big, big one happens. There's There's no way to 
simulate that volume of water, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, you know, like we had uh, for much of the of the last year when these improvements were going on, we were close to a close to a drought level as far as our rainfall. So not only were we not having a lot of rainfall, we were also experiencing lower than normal groundwater levels, which of course maintain the the levels of a lot of these the lagoon systems and these channels that we have upstream of these facilities. So water water levels were low for a long time. Then we had a bunch of rain in June, July, August, and September. Uh, to kind of recharge this and get, like I said, give us some indication of, of places we needed to pay attention to as far as the maintenance is concerned. And this is actually, you know, leading to a couple of, uh, of future capital improvement projects that will, will increase the resilience for a couple of our facilities. Uh, one improvement to, to further enhance the resiliency and effectiveness at Jarvis with a, installing additional, uh, flat gates in the downstream system to mitigate the impacts of of uh normal tides and tidal surges but especially especially the tidal surges associated with an extreme event because you know when we have a an extreme event here on the coast we're trying to push water out into a water body that's generally much much higher with the surge associated with the storm um so all that rainfall at the same time where the outfall conditions are absolutely the worst combination so pushing out against a high tide to try and push the water into the ocean the Worst challenge comes under the worst overall circumstances. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, you already mentioned some, but any other things coming down the way in terms of stormwater projects uh, for the island? So as far as the uh, the, the major uh, primary systems on the island, as far as just the pipes and the ditches and the capacities there, um, I, I spoke earlier about the the storms in the 90s that brought a lot of rainfall that kind of got the ball rolling for the creation of that stormwater utility to get that funding source. Well, along along with that was a, on a countywide uh, drainage study that developed a countywide master plan, and each participant in this study financially was given kind of a, a list of projects that, that needed to be implemented to address the major concerns. And the town had completed... Uh, all the projects on that list by around 2005. So um, as far as our our primary systems, the sizes of our pipes and the depths and widths of our channels and the connectivity associated with those and the installation of of, uh, control structures and flap gates and, and, and such has already been done. So just trying to improve that resiliency and then, you know, as the town thinks about uh, formalizing a, a plan uh for climate change and potentially future heavier storms and, and higher higher uh, sea level and higher tides, um, that's all going to feed into our, our, our looking forward plan. So this next question is one I always ask. What can other cities and towns around South Carolina learn from what Hilton Head Island did in this case? It's It's a little tricky because, of course, Many municipalities are not barrier islands. Yeah, it, it is unique as you go up and down the coast. Um, you know, Charleston is, has a extremely difficult situation there, where they have that you know highly urbanized peninsula, very very low low lying, um, and a, a lot of, of tidal effects that, that uh, the, the the slight increases we've seen over the last uh, you know couple of decades is 
definitely not helped their situation. And then if you go up and down the coast and look for communities that have uh, pump stations, as they've decided as, as a potential solution to help, um, there's not a lot of them when you add them all up in, in, along the coast of South Carolina. And, uh, you know, down our down in the, our similar communities in Florida, the situation has changed a little bit, too, because the the coastline is a little bit different, and then the, the, you know what you're what you're feeding into and how much volume to deal with is varies. But uh, it's kind of a niche thing when we're speaking specifically about pump stations. It's not like they're all over the place. I think Savannah has uh, across the river from us has six or seven pump stations. I think Georgetown has a pump station, but uh, there's not a there's not a whole lot of them, so there's not a big, a large, you know, large local community to, to discuss the problem. So we have, we have, uh, uh, coordinated with Savannah and, you know, taken a tour of a couple of their facilities. Of course, their facilities are, are totally different than ours because they're, uh, they're sometimes feeding much larger drainage areas and, and the designs are, the di- designs are in, in some cases largely different. I think the, the lessons learned is to, to kind of pay attention to the infrastructure that you do have and, and make sure that you're, Making the most of it and doing the best you can with it, whether it's uh, you know pipes and ditches or or something that's not passive and but actually active like a pump station, a dynamic response. Just make sure they're top. You know, proactive maintenance is is really the way to go. Um, reducing the life cycle cost and uh, doing mm-hmm. the most you can with what you what you've paid to install. One thing I'm definitely picking up on is the attention paid to making sure there are no blockages at the point of outflow. Yeah. So water keeping keeping the system clear so the water can get to the pump station, um, and then making sure that once it gets past the pump station, that no, no, none of that tide water, none of that downstream uh, higher water elevation is preventing you from pushing out. In other words, an ideal an ideal pump station is able to push out water uh, regardless of the tide, whether it's uh, really really high or or it's it's really low. Just want to be able to keep it off the land and keep it out where we want it to get to to protect life and property. Um, you know, one thing that is a bit of, of interest, and we're running to this all the time. Is, you know, I think many might understand how important the natural environment is. Um, to the amenity aspects of this island and what makes it such a great place to visit and live is the, is the amount of uh, buffer, bu- buffer vegetation that we have and the trees that we pay close attention to, to preserving. But all of the vegetation in those trees dump an awful lot of uh, pine, pine needles and leaf litter uh, and all that stuff tends to get into our system and especially it'll land on the top of our inlets along our roadways and stuff. And once those little inlets get clogged with uh, vegetative breed and pine straw and stuff like that, and the rainfall event, they'll, you know, a lot of times it'll stop the water from getting in the inlet into the pipe to begin with, but to begin its journey, in some cases, to a pump station. Mm-hmm. So you can have localized flooding just because pine straw has covered the inlet. It doesn't really matter how well the pump station is running or how big the pipe is or how wide the ditch is that wants to get the water you know, all the way out. If it can't even get into that uh, conveyance system, you know, we're defeated at the very beginning. So we pay a lot of attention also to finding ways to better maintain and, uh, that, especially in the, you know, if there's a, a non-coming storm, we make a special effort to make sure we're checking all those inlet structures and make sure that there's 
they're free of debris at the time or see if there's anything that might carry debris over to the two those inlets and clog them up before a storm comes. Okay. The water has course, to be free to move at every step of the process. Exactly. So it's challenging when it's when it's flat and uh, and again all that uh, all that vegetation and all that pine straw that gets uh, placed as an amenity around stuff um, uh, on the ground, you know, all that has the potential threat to clog up our system. So the ongoing challenge. You know, we're considering implementing a, 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 a kind of a robust uh, adopt an inlet an adopt an inlet program you've heard of adopt a stream and you've heard of adopt a road you know as far as keeping litter off the side of it but uh, if we can get the local residents who live right by the, the inlet they, their house or their street relies on and have them um, take an interest in keeping the one closest to them clear um, I think that could go a long way to helping us help everybody in the community so well uh I will say for those listening to this podcast, if you want to learn more about this project, I would invite you to check out uh, the information about uh, this Achievement Award and all the others on the Municipal Association's website. It's www.masc.sc. You can search for the, the keyword Achievement Awards. With that, I can say, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to Talk to us about all of this today. Well, thank you for having me on, and uh, we really appreciate it, and for uh, the opportunity to to uh, work with the Municipal Association. Absolutely. And if anybody has any questions, they can uh, reach out to me directly at the Town of Hilton Head. The City Quick Connect podcast is one of several ways the Municipal Association keeps you informed of the opportunities and issues impacting South Carolina cities and towns. Learn more at www.masc.sc and stay up to date with the Association's latest happenings on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.